Have you ever received a gift you didn't expect? Maybe someone got you a gift, you didn't even know that the gift was coming. I love those type of gifts, and I hate those gifts all at the same time. And here's why. I love that you're giving me a gift. I love it. I hate that I don't have something to give back to you. Maybe you, have, you can feel, feel my tension, share that tension a little bit here. Maybe it was a gift that you got that it was not what you expected it to be. You asked for one thing, but you got something completely different. Boy, I tell you, if you give a kid a gift they don't want, and it's not something really fun, okay? <laughs> they got no problem telling you what they think. What is this? As a kid, that was socks and underwear for me. I don't know about some of you guys. That was my thing. Now, I've heard that in some houses, socks and underwear wanted gifts, actually. I don't know if that's your family, maybe. They're treasured items. As I've gotten older, this actually becomes treasured for me. Socks are a lot more fun now than when I was a kid, okay? And truthfully, there are people out there who need those items, but they still can't get them. I want to tell you that this season, just something I want to tell you about that we're going to do, we're going to come together as a church family, and we're going to do something unexpected. We're going to be collecting socks and underwear for people who need them. Now, I'm going to, before I go on here, I want to clarify here with you, because I know some of you are thinking something I don't want you to think. We want new socks and underwear <laughs> for people, okay? <laughs> don't bring your used socks with the giant hole where your big toe comes out. I don't need your peekaboo toe socks, okay? And also, I don't need your used underwear. That's gross. Keep the, throw them away, honestly, okay? I'm asking everybody to go out and buy a new pack of socks or underwear or both and bring those in starting next week through Christmas Eve. Now, you're going to say, what size do you need? I'm going to just say all sizes. Kids, teenagers, adults, whatever size your family's using, Okay? Just think of it that way. We're going to be blessing some of our organizations in Colerain as well as in Butler County. We're going to be giving a lot of these to nursing homes for, for people who need them, people who need those things, but they don't have a way or people to provide them to them. So I want you guys to do that this season. So start bringing those in next week. We're going to have bins available for them out in the lobby. I believe we can make a huge difference by donating these items. Now, last weekend, Pam and I just celebrated our 12-year wedding anniversary. It was just this past weekend. And when we got married, we got an unexpected gift. Pam's aunt gave us these foldable TV trays. You know those things where you put them and they stand up, right? She gave us these TV trays where you could sit on the couch and eat dinner. Now, we didn't register for these. She went rogue off of our list. I'm sure some of you guys have experienced that, right? And at first I thought, oh boy, just what I need, more time to watch TV while I'm eating. Um, this is really good for a young marriage. Oh, it's... <laughs> but then I started using these tables for so many other things than just watching TV and eating. We used them in places where we didn't have a permanent table, but we needed it temporarily. Like when my kids had croup, as babies, right, as kids, like, we put humidifiers on these tables in their room so it would help them. I mean, we used these things probably more than anything we got for a period of time. This is probably one of the most useful gifts I ever received, and I didn't know I needed them. 
Sometimes the greatest gifts we get are the ones we didn't know we needed. This is what we celebrate in this Christmas season. This time on the calendar celebrates an event that was prophesied for years. Yet when the event finally occurs, it is virtually unexpected, and even today, unaccepted by many people. And Jesus was the gift that we didn't know we needed. That's what this series is all about. We want to discover how Jesus coming to earth brings hope, peace, joy, love, and how the unexpected Messiah brings the beginnings of a new kingdom. Today, I want to tell you this. You have hope for the future. That's our big idea. See, we've placed our hope in lots of things, but it regularly seems like hope is lost in this world. A group of people who didn't also have know if there was any hope was the people called the Israelite people. They had been struggling for thousands of years with the idea of God being their God and, and them being his people. And while that forgiveness and salvation had been predicted, it had been prophesied, the promise for the people of Israel, for centuries, they, had, they hadn't realized that. They didn't realize how this king of freedom was going to appear or what he was going to do. See, what they expected was a grand warrior, a warrior who'd remove them under this stifling rule of other, of other countries, of other leaders, of other groups of people. Worldly freedom and prosperity were the things they expected, what they anticipated. Now, in the Old Testament book of Micah, we see a prophecy of what is to come. So if you've got your Bible or a Bible app on your phone, I encourage you to turn to Micah chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. I'm going to put the words on the screen here. But I do want you to know, if, if you want a Bible, they're available for you today out in the lobby at the Hub. You can pick one up. We want you to take that as a gift, okay? Now, the Israelites were also called Hebrews. And they were exiled from their land. They had lost their homeland, the place that they had been promised. And they're currently being ruled by a group of people here in Micah called the Assyrians. And Micah is writing to them, and he's reminding them, guys, you know why you're here? Do you realize why you're in this place? Because you didn't follow God's law. You didn't do what God told you to do. You didn't keep your side of the covenant. And so you're stuck in this place. You're dealing with all this hardship and pain. And yet in the midst of this scathing reproach that Micah's giving to the people from God, right? He takes a moment to point to a hope for the future. Look at this in chapter 5 of Micah, right in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, Ephratah is the ancient name of Bethlehem, and it distinguishes it from other towns of the time named Bethlehem. I bet you didn't ever think about the fact there are other places called Bethlehem at this point in history. Just like there's lots of cities in all kinds of states that are the same name. So by adding the Ephratah to this 
to this name. Micah identifies the town that David was born in. And so he establishes a connection between the coming king, Jesus, and a king that the Israelite people knew well from their history, King David. And it would be understandable why this would lead many of these people to expect a king who was a ruler just like David, one who would conquer their enemies, one who would reestablish Jerusalem as the stronghold for God's people. Because the phrases they use in this passage in Hebrew, they have a military connotation to them. It kind of refers to an army departing for battle. And so it, it, it points at the kingly activities of the Messiah in terms of his might and power. I mean, these people truly expected someone more like a general to come down and lead them into battle. And I think for many of us, we have a similar expectation of Jesus in our lives. Remember, you have hope for the future. What we want is we want Jesus to come and bring us hope for our desired future. We feel hopeless in our jobs, our marriages, our families, our friendships, our place in this world. We feel hopeless. And so we place our trust in Jesus with an expectation that this relationship is give and take. If I give you my time, my money, my devotion, Jesus, then you will give me X, Y, Z, name it, in my life. See, I want my circumstances to get better, Lord. We all want that, right? I mean, are there, can any of us in this room sit here today and say, you know what, I'd really love for my circumstances to get worse? No. We want things to get better. The people of Israel felt the same desire. They saw the Messiah as this figure who would come and overtake the Romans. That was their current occupier and bring them freedom and prosperity when Jesus was born. Yet this king didn't come in the way they expected. But he did come in the way it was predicted. Look at this in Luke. In Luke chapter, Luke chapter 2. Look at what he writes about Jesus' birth, right in verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Most of us know this story. We love this image of the baby wrapped up in cloths, laced, lying in the manger. I mean, listen to me. I've got like five of these nativity scenes in my house right now. We're not going to forget that Jesus was a baby in the manger, okay? We love this. But don't miss the importance of this narrative. By going to Bethlehem, by being an ancestor of David, Jesus' birth fulfilled this prophecy. A prophecy that was given hundreds of years prior to Jesus' birth. Way back in the time of Micah. The king arrives on the scene, but he does so in the most unexpected way possible. 
a small, helpless baby. I think for many of the people in those days, the way Jesus came in was kind of strange. But the way his ministry moved forward was even more unexpected. Being born in such an unassuming way is one thing, but then they expected Jesus to be a man of action, to go and fight against the things they hated in this world, the things they wouldn't stand for. The religious leaders of this time expected the Messiah to come and back up their views. Jesus, tell these people how bad they are. Tell them how they need to follow the law, Lord. See, we might sit in our world and look around and think about how broken things are and how people need to hear how messed up they are. You've messed up this place. We want to tell them that. We want Jesus to condemn and shame the sin out of people. I know this because I've been there. I've said these things out loud, and I've definitely thought these things in my mind. Why don't they do it my way? And Jesus didn't do those things. More often, he was preaching and teaching against the idea of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness meaning the idea that we think we try to be better than other people. Jesus taught there's no hope in that type of living. There's no hope in wishing to be better than others. There is no hope in trying to live a good life. There's only failure at the end of that story. There's only depression and anxiety when we work hard at being good enough to earn the forgiveness that God gives. There's only loneliness when our desire to fit in defines our identity and who we are. There's only failure when our pride says we don't need any help from anyone else. See, Jesus comes to offer a new narrative. You have hope for the future. Our needed hope wasn't one of freedom from worldly oppressors. There was a far larger need that God saw. See, God saw a need for salvation just as soon as Adam and Eve sinned back in the Garden of Eden. Once the perfect design was broken, God knew that any hope on our own was futile. So he promised to bring a deliverer. See, this, this promise was expressed to God's people multiple times throughout the Old Testament. It's even portrayed in prophetic actions, just like what Micah said here, in multiple places. However, when it occurred, very few accepted Jesus' authority. Very few people accepted the gift of grace that he offered through his death and resurrection. That's the only way to find true hope. In the book of Titus, which is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's a follower of Jesus after Jesus' death and resurrection and return to heaven, Paul, Paul wrote many, much of the New Testament, many letters to the churches. And Paul was writing a letter to a guy named Titus who was one of his mentees. He was mentoring Titus into, into leadership. He's teaching him how to lead well. And in this book, he says, this letter, he says to Titus what real hope looks like. 
when we place our trust in Jesus. Look at this in the second chapter of Titus, verse 11. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See, this section, what Paul is saying to Titus, it deals with two appearings. The first appearing of God's grace, an allusion to the first coming of Christ, right? When God's grace was revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's reminding Titus that when Jesus came, he gave us a current hope. He's offered salvation to people from the sin that plagues our lives. And because of that grace he gives freely, Paul is saying that what drives us, what should drive us to saying no, he says, to living a sinful life, what is the thing that drives us? We don't try to be better because we believe that will save us. That's bondage to rules and to comparison. That's not freedom. Instead, he says, we, learn, we work to live a life more in line with God's design and plan because of what Jesus did, because he gave it freely to us. In our work, in our schools, in our family, in our sexuality, in our finances, our marriages, all these places, every aspect of this world, we try to abide by what we read in these passages in the pages here, not because we think that will save us, but because we are so grateful for the hope of grace. He forgave our sins on the cross. He paved a way for us. And that's what points to this second appearing that Paul references. In verse 13, he references the second coming of Christ, described as the blessed hope. Not only do we have our current hope of knowing that we don't have to live a perfect life, but we also know that in the midst of the struggles we're facing, there is a future hope as well. Because for some of us, the gift we expect from God is health and prosperity. We expect freedom from hardships in this world for things to go well for us. And in this world, we struggle with the darkness and pain that rules over us. See, this is that second hope. Jesus brings with him an unexpected, but altogether full hope that even though this world is full of struggle and pain, even though things may not go the way we think they should, even though sometimes our prayers are not answered in the way that we expect them to be, that he will never leave our side, and that this world and all the things we experience here are truly temporary. This is not the end of the line. This is not the end of the story. In John chapter 14, Jesus is sitting and talking with his disciples. 
They've just celebrated the Passover meal, a meal that the Israelite people celebrated regularly to remember their freedom. And he's predicting his death. He's telling his disciples, I'm going to leave. But he wants to encourage them in this moment. Even though he's told them more than once that this is happening, he knows that what's coming will be unexpected for them. So he reminds them of the hope he offers to all of us. In John 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus says, I'm going ahead, guys. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't despair. I'm coming back. He's pointing towards a future hope. They will face struggle. They are about to go through possibly the worst period of their lives. Yet he's saying, hold fast to the hope of the future. And then Thomas who's always asking questions, doubting Thomas, chimes in in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, for many of us, we're searching for a way to find hope in our own actions. We work hard to get ahead in our career. We read all of the parenting books. We go to therapy to improve our lives. We sign up to volunteer or support causes to, so that we can make a difference in this world and feel like we have a calling and a purpose. And these things are good. Hear me. These are noble. These are helpful tools to, to a well-lived life. But if you're thinking those things will show you the way to the hope of the future, then you've missed the point you can do all this and expect it to give you hope, but the truth is, it will still leave you hopeless. Struggles will still come. Pain will still happen. Death is inevitable for this human frame that we live in. Jesus says it. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only truth that matters in this world. Only if we put our faith in him and, and let him define who we are can we have that eternal life. You have hope for the future. At the end of the Gospel of John, and gospel just means the telling of the good news, the narrative of Jesus' life, John reiterates the reason why he wrote this narrative. Look at this in John ch chapter 20. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John's saying, I want you to know that Jesus is Messiah. All these things, all these promises that were given in the Old Testament, all of them, we, they are true. Yet he was not what was expected. He's so much more. 
And then he ends this passage with a really amazing idea. He says that by believing, you may have life in his name. And the interesting thing is that scholars debate this word believing here, that that phrase. The the way it's written suggests that John is, is writing in order to bring people to faith, that you come to believe, some would say. But it also implies that John is taking Christians, those who already believe, deeper into their faith so that you may continue believing. The first points to evangelism, right? The second to encouragement. And so which one is right? That's the debate. And I would dare say to you that they both are. Of course, these stories of Jesus' life are useful to those who believe. It's an encouragement for us as believers to learn, to see the benefits of living a life following Jesus, to keep growing in our faith. But it's hardly to say that it's not useful or beneficial for those who possess no belief. Frequently the issues of faith, that, that, of doubt, that trouble the believer, the unbeliever as well, are the same. As Christians, we have the same unbelief and struggles as the unbeliever. John's gospel serves both audiences with perhaps the most clear, most poignant explanation of Jesus and his mission in this world. John writes to strengthen faith. And he says it makes no difference what your starting point might be. You have hope for the future. Today, I want you to consider this season of hope. To the unexpected arrival of the king offering our spiritual future and its heavenly rewards over worldly kings with temporary pleasures. If you've already made that decision, do what John's saying here. Keep believing. Use this season to testify of your faith to others through either your words or your actions. Proclaim the unexpected, causing others to make a wonderful change in their life. This season, I want to challenge you to not just let that hope set in your heart. There are people around you in your life, neighbors, family, co-workers, school friends, whatever you, you want to, whoever they are, there are people around you, people you know. These people need hope. They need an unexpected gift in Jesus Christ. So I want you today to think of who those people are. I want you to think of them in your mind. Who are they? Maybe just think of one person, one family. Who is that person in your mind? Then I want you to spend time this season praying for them. Pray for them every day. It's not hard. Make it. It doesn't have to be profound. Just pray for them by name every single day for the rest of this season. And then I want you to invite them. Invite them to come with you for our Christmas Eve services. We have four opportunities right here at our Ross campus for you to be able to come to Christmas Eve and to invite someone to come with you. For those of you watching online, we also have three options, the same option, two options, I'm sorry, on Sunday morning at our Colerain campus.
So a total of six different places that you can invite someone to join you. Who is that person you're going to invite to join you? And don't just say, hey, you ought to go to my church on Christmas Eve. Look at them and say, hey, I want you to come with me on Christmas Eve. I'm going to save you a seat. I'm going to register both of us to come to Christmas Eve services. Here's when I'm going. I want you to come with me. We got room for them. We'll make room. If you guys invite enough people, we'll do standing room only in here. Who is the one person, the one family in your life that needs this unexpected hope? Maybe you're sitting in here today. Maybe you came in because you needed that hope. Maybe you were already invited or you just came in today looking for something. You didn't know what. During this season, I want you to accept the sovereignty, the complete authority of Jesus, the hope that he offers for all to gain that eternal life, that eternal life in heaven through his forgiveness, through his gift of salvation, through what Jesus did for you on the cross. He died for you. He doesn't ask you to come clean already. He doesn't ask you to show up in your Christmas best. Come as you are, he says. He doesn't care about your past or your mistakes. All he asks is that you accept that he is the only way to hope. Will you follow him? He knows the way. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that he died for us on the cross, that he made a hope for us, a current hope, Lord, where we know that we are forgiven, that our salvation is found in him, and we focus on doing the things you want us to do because of that forgiveness and a future hope, the yet to come, the kingdom of heaven, where we will all live in your glory. Thank you for this Christmas season as we celebrate that little child born in the manger who went on to be our Savior. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.